want to welcome you again one more time. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today called Soul Keeping. Very excited about this series. It's impacted my life in a huge way, and so uh, I cannot wait to share some of what I've been learning on my journey with Christ myself. You know, two years ago, uh, John Ortberg wrote a book called Soul Keeping, and he is the pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And uh, I follow John. Uh, I've been following John for years now. He's written several other books. One of them you might recognize, The Life You've Always Wanted, fabulous book on spiritual growth and, de uh, and development. Uh, but this book is his most recent book. And the reason I love it so much is because uh, John was actually a disciple or kind of a, a follower of Dallas Willard. And if you, if you know me at all, you know I love Dallas. I love his books. And, and so I've read as, as much of it of him as I possibly can. And, and so John kind of followed his ways and kind of, you know, just learn his, his, what he had to say about spiritual growth and spiritual formation. And a lot of what he wrote in this book is really what Dallas has taught him in particular uh, in Dallas's book, Renovation of the Heart. And if you haven't read that one, that's a little bit, uh, it's, it's a challenging book, but it's, it's, it's what you'll find a lot of the same content in this book. And so I thought to myself, man, what, what a great study that would be for, for us, to, for our whole church to kind of go through some of the ideas in this book. We won't cover everything, but uh, also to study the content in this book in our small groups as well. I thought that would be really uh, a, a great challenge for us. So I want to start with a little metaphor that, uh, that John starts with in the prologue of the book that will kind of set up uh, the whole series and kind of give us a, a metaphor to kind of go back to each, each week during the series. It kind of goes like this. Um, there was once a, a, a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were as, were as old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear as crystal. Children played and laughed beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was largely unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury that no one could afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went unattended. Twigs and branches, and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water, was no longer, the water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended upon the stream. And the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. They found the money to, to rehire the old man. After yet another time, the springs were clean, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced with health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. 
The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. I love that metaphor because it it brings home this idea that you have a soul, and you are the keeper of your soul. And And that the idea is that the quality of your life depends or is determined by the quality of your soul. If you're taking notes, that's the first idea I want, I want to give to you today. The quality of your life or the health of your, li- of your health of your soul determines the quality of your life. You have a soul and you are the keeper of the soul. The quality of your soul will literally determine the quality of your life. The way, the, the way uh, King Solomon said it in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 is this, keep your heart, same word here, watch over Tend to it. Keep your heart or your inner core. Watch this. With all vigilance, with everything you got, with all your focus, with all your energy, focus on on this one thing, watching over your heart. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. In other words, everything that you do is impacted by the condition of your soul. So you better watch over your soul, your inner being, because it impacts everything in you do. It impacts your relationship. It, it, it impacts the quality of your decision-making. It, it impacts how you, how you parent your children. It impacts how you spend your money. It impacts your, your overall attitude about life. Keep watch over your soul, because we live from the inside out, it basically is what, is what King Solomon is saying there. You know, the soul is a mysterious thing, don't you think? If I asked you to describe the soul, what would you say? What words would come to mind? It's hard to describe the soul, right? I I remember my first interaction with the soul was when I was a little boy. I used to go sleep over at my grandmother's house and with my two brothers. And she would make us say this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Did you pray that too when you were little? A little bit of a scary prayer as a little kid, right? Someone's going to take your soul. But I, but I used to like, I used to encourage myself with the idea that if someone's going to take my soul, I, I'm glad it's God and not somebody else, right? There's something in there, right? I used to think to myself. And I went to my grandmother's funeral, same grandma, and I remember looking at her body in the casket. I was just, I was so, uh, I don't know, I was taken by the idea that that was her body, but she wasn't there. It was just, it was just I, the dots were connecting, and I was just, just like, okay, so there's something inside that leaves, and okay, maybe that was her soul, and it's not there anymore. And then I remember uh, my second encounter with the soul was the Looney Tunes cartoons. And, uh, you know, Tom and Jerry and, you know, Woody Woodpecker and all these different, you know, uh, things. And maybe you, maybe you watched them, maybe you didn't. Roadrunner, that was a big one, right? Well, I remember when Tom used to die, and Tom was always the stupid one. Remember Tom? And somehow Jerry would survive. Anybody else watch Tom and Jerry? And so when Tom would die, you know, this little, you know, soul would come out of his body, you know. And maybe sometimes it had wings, and it was, you could see through it. And it was just like, and I used to think, oh, that's the soul right there. And so as, as a little kid, I remember thinking, okay, there's something inside of me that, that, that maybe upon death is going to leave. And maybe it's going to go to heaven, and maybe not. I'm not sure. And, and so the soul, we want to talk about the soul in this series. What is it? It's a bit mysterious. Do you even have one? Do dogs have one? I think my dog has one. Somebody said yes. I should say, I hope my dog has one. He's, he definitely is a sinner, and he needs his soul to be saved. <laughs> but that's a whole, we can, get it, we can talk about that after the service. Cats definitely don't have souls. There's no way. There's no way. 
<laughs> oh my, getting into trouble with some cat lovers here. But, but what is the soul, right? Like what, it's hard to, to, to press down on. It's hard to figure out. That's what we want to do in this series. We want to try to discover what the soul is, try to make sense of what it is. And then, and then try to like work, you know, work on the soul because that's really what, what God is calling us to do. What is the soul? It's a confusing thing. Um, the reason we want to do this series, again, is because the quality of my soul determines the quality of my life. The condition of my soul will, will, be a, will, 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 will impact everything I do. So it's vital that we take the time to study the soul and figure out what's going on. So let me give you a little target here over the next four weeks. And I challenge you to come back each week during this series because they're kind of going to build each, upon each other. And you don't want to miss a week. So, but I want to give you a target of, where, of what we're shooting for, okay? And, and this is what a healthy soul looks like. A person with a healthy soul is someone who's able to respond to the situations of life as Jesus would. This is a big statement here, okay? A person with a, with a healthy inside, a healthy soul, is someone who's able to go through their life, and, and as situations pop up at work or in marriage or with parenting or with finances or with a job loss or a death or a, or a disease or a cancer or whatever, as, as situations pop up, you, a healthy soul, is able to respond to those situations as Jesus would. Why would we say that? Why would that be a picture of a healthy soul? Because is there a healthier soul to ever walk the, plate, the, the face of earth? Is there? No. I mean, you could throw Mother Teresa out. You could throw Billy Graham out there. You could throw some others out there. But they don't even come close to the purity and wholeness and health of the soul of Jesus Christ himself. So what does a healthy soul look like? It looks like the soul of Jesus, right? Where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and courage and faith just oozed out of him, right? As he walked through his life, he always did the right thing at the right time and the right way. And so that's what a healthy soul looks like, right? So that's, that's our goal. We want to we become like Christ on the inside. That's what a healthy soul looks like. So that's where we want to go. That is our target for this series. And so what I want to do is look at a couple of things really quick. I'm going to take a peek here. Um, when I say that, when I say that Jesus is the example, right? Like we want to become like him. I know, I know what you guys are feeling probably. You're feeling probably what I'm feeling. Like, oh my goodness, I, I, don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I, I don't respond like Jesus would in the situations of my life. When there's temptation that comes my way, I don't fight it off like he did in Matthew chapter 4 when he fight out, fought off Satan three, you know, three times. And I, don't, I, I'm, I give in to, to temptation, or, or I don't respond to my spouse like I should, or I don't respond to my boss or my, or my coworkers. And I, don't, I get agitated. I get frustrated. I, I know, I know. I do too. I do too. It's, it's a hard thing to hear this idea. It can, it can be a bit discouraging, but that's what we're here to talk about. That's, that's one of the things we're here to solve. You see, the reality is, is that we have a problem down in our soul. The reason that you and I cannot respond like Jesus does is because, in your notes there, our soul is in trouble. Our soul is in trouble. The reason I can't, I can't demonstrate kindness or, or forgive those who hurt me or turn the other cheek or, or, or do some of these things or, or live a life without judge, constantly judging other people's behavior, right? So these are some of the teachings that Jesus gave. Or live a life where I'm not lusting after the opposite sex, right? You look at the gospel and you see these teachings. Jesus lived out these teachings. The reason I can't live those out is because my soul is in trouble. There's a problem in my soul, and that's the struggle, 
Listen to what Jesus said in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. He said, for from within, out of the person's what? Heart, which is a, which is the, a picture of the, of the soul. It's another word. They're used interchangeably. Come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed. And he continues with wickedness and deceit and lustful desires and envy and slander and pride. Oh, my gosh. He probably could have kept going, but he stopped. Thank, aren't you thankful? <laughs> He's saying from, for, from within, these things come, right? We want to say, well, well, the reason I did X, Y, and Z is because of something outside of me, right? We like to point the finger and blame, it, blame our behavior on other people. Jesus says, no, you got a problem on the inside, and that's where all this stuff is coming from. See, the reason that, that we struggle is because our hearts have already been formed. This is, this is such an, uh, an important idea to get here. Like right now, where you sit in these seats right now, you have already been formed spiritually. You already have a way of responding to pressure. You already have a way of responding to pain, to someone who cuts you off, someone who does you wrong, someone who hurts you, someone who messes with you, to uh, the loss of a loved one. You already have a way of responding. In other words, you already have a formation. And here's the, here's the crazy part. Your formation has taken place in a world system set, that is set against God. Let me say that again. It's a, it's, a, it's a very important idea that we get this. Like who I am up to this point has been formed in a world set against God and his ways. Let me give you an example. We, went, uh, we took our kids to see the Avengers the other day. And uh, my wife did a little research before we went just to make sure that, you know, there was no, uh, nothing uh, inappropriate in terms of, uh, you know, just things that we deem inappropriate other than massive violence. So we decided that, that it, you know, other than the massive violence, it was a decent movie to go take our kids to. So, but what we didn't check on were the coming attractions. There were like 75 of them. And they were very inappropriate. So there I'm sitting in the theater, and I totally didn't even think about that. We got there early, and my, and my kids were sitting too far away from me where I couldn't cover their eyes, Right? It was like four, they were sitting with their friends. And so as, as these coming attractions were coming on, they were totally inappropriate for, 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 for the age, for the kids that were in the audience. And, you know, I'm just looking over there and like, you know. And then, you know, they're, they're looking down and, you know. So we go home and. And uh, we have a conversation that night, uh, you know, as I'm putting them to bed, and, and one of my kids says, Dad, you know, why, why do they show movies like that? If it's so inappropriate, like, what's, why do they do that? I said, that is such a good question, buddy. And the reason they do that is because they don't care about your soul. They care about money. And they know that there's something broken inside of your soul that desires things that are inappropriate. That's why we crave to watch those things. So they're leveraging their power and their money on your soul, your broken soul. They don't care about the condition of your soul. And it's just sitting there thinking, processing. See, my character and your character has been formed up to this point in a world that does not care one iota about the condition of your soul. Not one. Okay? That's important. Who you are right now has been formed in a world 
apart from God. Now, here's the beautiful truth, and what I love about Dallas Willard and John Ortberg is that they bring in this massive hope that says, okay, you are who you are today, okay, that, that, that you've been formed, but you can be transformed. <laughs> and that's where I get excited. And when I, when I start to look into my soul and I see all kinds of things that are wrong and broken and twisted and dark, and, and I go, oh my gosh, I could get overwhelmed and depressed, right? But then I go, oh my gosh, but Jesus wants to change all that. And, I, and he can change all that if I understand how the soul works and work with him to change the person I am on the inside, and he can do the same for you. And so what I'm preaching to you today is not a sermon. This is my life, okay? This is me trying to figure out me, and then, and then hopefully it just kind of split. You get some of it splashes on you, and you get the benefit too, okay? I'm not preaching at you. I'm sharing my own journey of, 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 of transformation, even though it's really screwed up and messy. <laughs> is that okay? Can we do that? Yeah, yeah. So here's, here's, let, me give, let me bring some hope right now, because this is, this is, this is good stuff. What, what does God want to do? Well, what he wants to do is restore your soul. He wants to restore your soul. That's what God wants to do in your life. He knows that the soul has is, is, is been formed in a world set apart, set apart from him, and he wants to restore it. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Psalm 23. Right? Some of you have it memorized. You can quote it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And then verse 3 happens. Watch this. He restores my soul. What does this little word restore mean? It's such a powerful word. Well, the, the metaphor in Psalm 23 is that of a sheep shepherd, right? So, so you got this sheep, the, the shepherd who's taking care of all these sheep, and, and what would happen every now and then, if you know anything about sheep, sheep, shepherds and sheep, which I don't know too much besides what I've studied, but you know, every now and then a sheep would lie down in, in, a, in a pasture and there would be like a depression in the ground and, and, and uh, because he was overweight or the hair was too long on the sheep, he would lie on its side and, and he would lose uh, his sense of gravity or, or the, the sheep would lose its, its, its equilibrium and it would kind of tip over on its back. And shepherds call this, uh, when they, they refer to this as your sheep, one of your sheep being cast down or cast, a cast sheep. And so then because the sheep was overweight or its hair was too long and it was in a little bit of a depression, it could not regain its balance. And so it would start to kick and it would start to panic. I mean, you can probably imagine some type of bug or animal you've seen stuck on their back right now, right? So there's the sheep stuck on his back, flailing its legs. And what happens at this point, this is fascinating, gases begin to, begin to build up inside of the stomach, inside of the body. Circulation in the legs stop, so blood stops flowing. And within two hours, that sheep dies. I had no idea. Just because it laid down in the grass to take a rest and it lost its balance. And so what would happen, a shepherd knew this, and so he would be constantly watching out over his sheep to see if any of them had been cast. And if they did, he would come along and he would restore their life. He would literally pick them back up and put them on their feet. And that is what the good shepherd wants to do to your soul. See, some of you right now, including myself, we get all sideways, we lose our balance, we get all off, then we start panicking, and within a couple of days or years or decades, we lose our soul. And you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to come in and restore your soul and give your life back to you. Is that not exciting to you? It's right there in the Bible. I just love it. So how do we start? Where do we begin? Well, we have to begin with understanding. We have to get some clarity on what the soul is. We have to understand it if we want to care for it. Listen to what Dallas Willard said here. This is in your notes. 
Understanding is the basis of care. If you want to care for your spiritual core, you have to understand it, right? If you, if you want to care for your car, you have to understand your car. Now, I don't care very well for my cars. I have to bring it in for someone else to care for it. You want to know why? Because I don't understand it. I don't know how to change the oil. I don't know where the carburetor is. I don't know where anything is. I don't know how to care for it, right? I've had bad tire pressure for three months. I'm, you know, I just don't even, it's hard, it's hard, to, it's hard to care for my car. I don't understand that. It's not my area of expertise, right? Some of you are like, well, that's, that's that way with my wife. <laughs> I don't know how to take care of her because I don't understand her. Listen, I'm there with you too sometimes, but hey, it's our job to understand them, so get busy, bud, okay? So, no, so, the, so it's difficult to take care of something when you don't understand it. So the same thing is true with, uh, with, with your soul. When you understand your soul, you can take care of it. Have you ever seen Caesar Milan and, and the, the Dog Whisperer? That dude is amazing. Sometimes we watch that show and, and somebody will say, yeah, my dog keeps ripping up the carpet and he's, you know, just can't stop him. He bites everything in his path. And Caesar comes on the scene. He just knows the soul of a dog. See, dogs do have souls. And no, I, I'm not sure, but I'm just speculating. Anyway, um, so he comes in there, and he knows the makeup of a dog, and he knows which buttons to press and which knobs to turn, and all of a sudden, the dog stops biting the carpet. It's fascinating. Have you watched this? Like, wait, why, how can he do that? Because he understands how dogs are made up psychologically and emotionally and what, what's going on inside of them. It's, a, it's, it's such a phenomenal thing. And some of you don't understand your dog, so you don't, you don't know how to take care of it. I'm, I'm kind of with, with you too there. So, so what do we have to do? First and foremost, we have to understand the soul. So let's get into this. The first thing I want you to understand is that you have a soul, okay? Yeah, I mean, sorry, you are a soul. What did I just say? <laughs> you are a soul. You don't just have a soul, you are a soul. In the Bible, when you see this word soul pop up, it's a synonym for the person, okay? Like, it's, it's, it's the same word that describes who you are. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, this is what we read. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became, say it with me, a living soul. At some point, there was no life in that man, that body that he created out of the dirt, and then he breathed his life into him, and the man became a living soul. Fascinating. Now, that doesn't necessarily describe what the soul is. I just want you to know, first and foremost, you are a soul. It's what you are. Now, what is the soul? Let's break this down. The, the first thing I want you to see is that the soul, at the core, has a will. There's a couple of different layers of the soul here, okay? Now, I'm, lead, I'm leaning heavily now into Dallas Willard and John Ortberg and others. But at the center of your soul is something called the will. And if you raise children, you understand the will, don't you? If you've raised children and now they're gone, you understand the will. You remember. There's books written, uh, one in particular is called The Strong willed child, right? Even from a very young age, you can see babies do this. You tell them, no, no, and then they still reach out, don't they, right? And then you got to smack their hand, right, or whatever it is that you do. And so what, is, what are you seeing? You're seeing that they don't want to do what you've told them to do, and then it gets worse and worse and worse, and then they become teenagers, and it continues to get worse and worse and worse, right? Because they don't want to do what they want to do, what they want to do. What is that? That's the will, the will is the place where we make our decisions and we make our choices in life. And, and, and where we're going to go in week number three of this series, you really need to be there. Each week is going to build upon each other. Week three, we're going to talk about the problem of the will. Because the, the, the real problem with human beings is right here at the core of who we are in the will. 
Our will has been broken. We don't want to do what God has said to do. It has been fractured, it has been splintered, and it is ruining our souls right at the core. Our will is all screwed up. Now, I don't have time to get into all that, but in week number three, we're going to talk about how to fix the will and get the will problems all worked out. But the second layer I want you to see in the soul is the mind and the feelings. The mind and the feelings. Here's what's interesting. You and I cannot make a choice with our will right in the core or our heart at the center unless there is a thought coupled with a feeling presented to our will. I'll give you an example. You're at a restaurant. They say, what would you like to eat? Why do I need to see what? What is a menu? A menu are thoughts, ideas. Sometimes there's pictures. Don't you like it when there's pictures? And that's how thoughts come into our minds. That You can read them through words. You can see them through images, right? And so thoughts enter the mind, and then what comes along with those thoughts are the accompanying feelings. I'll give you an example. You go to a restaurant. You see a nice picture of a juicy Hamburger, lettuce, tomato, all this stuff. You think, oh, man, I could use a burger. You start to feel like that's a good thing. But then you think to yourself, now I've also, remember that article I read? This, if you eat too much red meat, it gets in your arteries and clogs stuff up, and eventually you get a heart attack. And, you, you know, it's, and then you start to feel like, man, I don't want to die. <laughs> and I don't want to, you know, I want to be around with my grandkids. So you have all these feelings that come along. And then you say to the waitress, I'll take the chicken. <laughs> now it works. But there would be no choice in the will without seeing the menu and having some feelings about what was presented to your mind. It works this way every single time you make a decision. You cannot make a choice without having thoughts or feelings accompanied. And, and, they, and they go together. I mean, can you have a thought without a feeling or a feeling without a thought? No, those things are, they, are over, they overlap and they are connected. I'll give you one more example. It's a powerful example in my life. Sitting there one late night. Jackie and I put the kids to bed and just watching television, and we had already eaten dinner, and this commercial comes on. It was a food commercial. Have you been there? They do this to you at nighttime. It's, it's just a crazy idea. And so all of a sudden, I get these images and these thoughts. Five sandwiches for $5. It's a pretty good deal. You know, and there's all this, you know, sauces flowing, there's roast beef everywhere. I'm just thinking, man... I started to have some pretty good feelings, and I started to feel some, like, movement down there. Like, man, it's five bucks, five sandwiches. I looked at my wife. I said, I'm going to Arby's right there. I get in the car. Some of you heard this story because you've been around here for a while, so I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the best one I got. I get in the car. I start that puppy up. Garage door goes up. I hit the gas, go in reverse, and I smash into my wife's car. No kidding. Boom. Right in the driveway. Yeah, a couple of thousand dollars later, right? By the way, never made it to Arby's. <laughs> never made it, right? Those feelings, those feelings and those thoughts were long gone. They were replaced with other feelings and other thoughts, right? So a couple of thousand dollars later, I, 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 was in, I was in, you know, some trouble, right? And, and so why do I share that story with you? I, I, this, is, I, this is the human experience. We think, and then we feel, and then we act, or we choose, for the good or for the worse. Now, have you, just, just pause for a moment. Think, think, think through your life for a second. Just do a quick, quick, quick thought. Have you ever had a moment where your thoughts and your emotions led you to make a choice in your will that has caused severe damage in your life? Now, I'm not trying to depress you today. 
I'm not trying to get you down. I just want you to acknowledge that when that when the soul is not working correctly and it's not, all of these things are not surrendered to God's will and God's ways and you start having thoughts that are ungodly and ungodly emotions and feelings, you make ungodly choices and this is how you ruin your soul. You with me? This is not a sermon. This is, this is the way God has made your life and my life. We can leverage it to, to become the men and women that he's created us to be, or we can just totally ignore it and continue to ruin our souls and ruin our lives. You have a soul, and you are your soul's keeper, and the health of your soul determines the quality of your life. Let me talk about this third layer here is the body. The body. Man, this one is interesting. I, I, I work so hard. I think so long about these ideas and the body is, 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 a, is a tricky one because, as I mentioned earlier, upon death, the soul leaves the body. So in one sense, you can say that the body is not the soul, right? But, but then you look at your everyday experience and you realize that your soul is kind of wrapped up and intertwined with your body. Let me give you an example. Uh, what, I, what I mean is that if you start having anxious thoughts, right, you start thinking, oh, what about, and what if, and what if that doesn't come through? What if you don't have enough money for retirement? What if they die? What if this? What if that? What if my high school student doesn't graduate college? All these, whatever, right? You start having thoughts, and then you have feelings of anxiety, and then what happens to your body? Well, all kinds of crazy stuff. You start to build up all these bad chemicals. You start to lose sleep. You start to, you know, feel bad. I mean, that all the evidence is in on how all of the anxiety and fear and worry actually can end up killing your body. So in another sense, we cannot say that, that oh, the body is not the soul. It's, I know it's a little tricky here. We can't say, we can't, we can't completely say that because it's all wrapped up into one. The body, my body, your body has appetites. Anybody know what I'm talking about? For nicotine? Anybody have that one? That's a tough one. It's a strong one. You give in to cigarettes for a while, all of a sudden your body starts to crave nicotine. You're in trouble, right? Now, now you're kind of trapped by your body. Even if you have a, a, a thoughts and feelings that say, this is going to kill you and it's going to give you cancer and you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't go buy one more pack of cigarettes. But your body's saying, yeah, but it's so good. <laughs> And then you, you take that and you transfer that over to pornography, right? And you give in to that and give in to that. And now you wake up and the first thing, first thought in your mind, your body's telling you, hey, look, look, go for more, go for more. And now you've become a slave to your bodily appetite. Same thing with food. Oh, man. Same thing with alcohol. You, get, you, get, you give in so much to drinking alcohol that finally your body says, okay, this is just the way it's going to be. I need a drink. I need two. I need five every day. I need six drinks. And, and now your body's just craving, 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 craving. So it's, we cannot say that it, uh, without doubt or, or with, with absolute clarity that the body is not the soul. Even though we know at some point the, the soul is going to leave the body. But for now, they are over lapping big time. And so the goal of what we're going to talk about in this series is to get the body to the point where it's no longer the master, but it's the servant. 
And that is indeed the way God created us, for our bodies to be servants of our will. In fact, our bodies to be servants of the will of God. Paul said this one time, I offer the members or the parts of my body as instruments of righteousness in order to perform God's will in this world. He said at one point, I buffet my body or I beat my body or I bring my bodily appetites into subjection. I make them serve my will or the will of God and not, and not to be my master. See? That's what's going on with the body. See, now, I've, I've explained all this probably with not the best clarity. I tried really hard to do that to give you understanding because that's all I wanted to give you today. Because why? Because understanding begins with care. If you want to care for your spiritual core, you have to understand it. And now that you understand what your soul is, your soul is made up of three parts, now you can take this information and you can begin to have, I don't know, some, a context to be able to work on your soul. See, when these three parts right here are not working together, when they're not integrated, where they're not working in harmony with, number, with one another, that's a fractured soul. That's a lost soul. That's a soul that is in bad shape. When these three things are working against each other. In other words, when your body is telling you to do things that in your mind and in your will you know you should not do, but you do them anyway. What is that? That is an unhealthy soul. That is a fractured soul. And there's conflict and there's tension and you're doing things you know you shouldn't do. That's what God wants to restore in you. You're like that sheep that's on its back flailing and God wants to take you and put you back up and restore your soul. So, my action step for you this week is very simple, very, very simple. I just want you to pay attention. That's it. Week one, I just want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention to your soul, the fact that you are one, the fact that you have thoughts, you have emotions, feelings, you have a will, you make choices, and you have a body that has appetites. It's either going to be your master or it's going to be your servant. You say, how can I do that? How can I pay attention? Well, I always use a journal. I always have a pen and, and a pad. And what, I'm, what I want to ask you to do, and you don't have to use a journal. You can get a piece of paper out or, or some type of notebook or some sort. And you could just, this week, just write down all of your choices. Why did you choose that food? Was it because you were lonely? Tired? Hurt? Unhappy? Write it down. Write down your choices. Why did you spend that money? Why did you go there? Why did you see that movie? Why did you not call her back? Why did you, why did you not send that email? Why, why? And write down your choices so that you can begin to become aware of the will, what's going on inside of you, right? And then also write down five to ten thoughts that, that are dominating your mind. Why? Because the thoughts that are dominating your mind are a reflection of the condition of your soul. What's on your mind? Is money on your mind? Is sex on your mind? What, like, what are the things that are, is fear on your mind? Just worried about all these, and write this down. What you're writing down is the condition of your soul, right? Your choices and your thoughts, and then write down your feelings. How are you feeling? Are you feeling happy? Are you sad? Are you joyful? Are you worried? Are you angry? Write down these emotions. Why? Because you're becoming aware of the condition of your soul. And then also write down maybe three to five appetites of your body. Well, what, what, what are the appetites of your body? Well, I, I just, I feel like it's just, I'm a, I just always have to have sex. I always have to eat. I always have to smoke. I always have to drink. I always have to, always have to, always have to. Write those down. Because what you're discovering is the condition of your soul. See, my soul is not in great shape as I look into it. 
I mean, there are some parts that have been restored, and there are some parts that need, need some work. It's how, do we, how do you know that? I just kind of look at my thoughts. I just kind of look at my choices when I'm free, when I have free time. I just kind of look at how I spend money, and I kind of look at what I do, what I don't do, and I get a picture of the condition of my soul, and I, now I know where to work. See, and this, and this is what you're going to be tempted to do. Watch this. Ready? Some of you are hearing this, and you are not going to do it. Here's why. Because you don't want to lift the hood to find out what's going on under there. <laughs> You'd rather just keep it shut. Because if, if you don't know what's going on, then you don't have to fix it, Right? Your jealousy, your anger, your judgmental spirit, your lustful thoughts. It's like if you don't pay attention to it, like you don't have to fix it. And that's why a lot of us keep the hood on our car clothes. We don't open that puppy up. Don't do that. Open up the hood. Look into your soul and just write down what you see and what you sense. Here's why. Because God is not going to get you. He's not angry at you. He's not going to smack you and bring the hammer down on you. He's going to say, okay, okay, now that you're aware of that judgmental spirit that you have, let's restore that. Now that you have that, those lustful tendencies to flirt with the opposite sex, even though you're married, let's work on that. Let's work. Let's restore that. That's what he, he wants to do is restore your soul so that when you go out and live your life, you can respond and act like Jesus would to all the situations in your life. And isn't that abundant living? <laughs> isn't that the easy yoke and the light burden? Isn't that the life that Jesus came to give us? But you've got to partner with him, and you've got to do some keeping of your soul. Now, a few moments ago, I'll close this way. A few moments ago, I mentioned that I've been at a couple, many funerals now that I'm a pastor, and I've performed funerals, and been at some funerals when I was a younger child, and I mentioned earlier that upon death, the soul leaves the body. There's a separation. <clears throat> what the Bible teaches is that the soul is eternal, meaning that it lives forever. There are some people that disagree with that and believe that once death happens, you become extinct. You're no, you no longer exist. The Bible simply doesn't teach that. It teaches that you are an eternal being, that your soul will live on forever in one or two places either in heaven with God or separated from God forever in hell. I don't believe in purgatory. There's not a verse in the Bible that's, that tells us that there's a place called purgatory, that kind of an in-between. It's either heaven or hell. Now, here, here's the great news. is that you don't have to spend eternity apart from God in hell. Like, that option has been taken off the table for you. And, and, and here's how, here's how it has, has happened. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross to pay for your sin. To pay for the fact that your will went the other way, decided, I don't want to do things your way, God. I want to do things my way. That's sin. Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. And when you put your faith in him, you can have that sin, all your sin, forgiven and washed. And your soul can be saved and spend eternity with God in heaven. If you'd like to do that right now, really all that you do is put your faith in Christ and say, ask him to forgive your sins and come into your life. So if you feel led to do that right now and it's for some reason become clear to you for the first time, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head right in this moment and just talk to God right now and say these words to him. Just pray and talk to him and express your faith to him. Just say this. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and rising again 
to save my soul. Put my faith in you right now in this moment. I turn from my sin. I believe you died in my place. I believe you paid for my sin so that my soul could be saved. Be my savior right now and help me for the rest of my life to keep my soul, to watch over my soul and allow you to restore my soul. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, our church would like to put a gift in your hand. It's a very simple gift. It's a one-year New Testament. And uh, we give this out to everybody who puts their faith in Christ uh, in in an environment like this. So if you just did that, I want to challenge you to go back here to my left and to my right. There's tables back there with some of my friends. They'll put one of these in your hands if you put your faith in Christ today and, and became a Christ follower. Can you give God glory today for what he's done? Now, as you leave here, oh, keep your soul. Watch, pay attention, watch over your choices. Watch over your thoughts. Watch over your emotions and your feeling. Watch over your body. Pay attention. And then commit to come back next week and the week after and the week after because we're going to dive into all these issues and figure out what's going on and try to, try to bring some restoration and some healing on the inside. Here's why. Here's why. Because the condition of our soul determines the quality of our lives. Let's pray. God, Thank you for leading us to this book. Thank you for John Orberg, Dallas Willard. Thank you for leading them and guiding them and showing them what you've, what you've shown them. May we benefit from their insights, from the scriptures. Help us to, to be transformed in the deep parts of our soul so that we can live the life that you have designed for us to live, so that we can respond and react to the situations of life as you did. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ, go back there, grab a Bible. God bless you. We will see you next week. Bring a friend.